spring is in the air and spring training is here. A lot of you in South Florida are going to be driving on the highway back and forth, probably about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes if you're headed over to Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium or even the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And if you are doing that, you may as well consider getting yourself into a pre-owned vehicle and the place to buy one if you're listening to this podcast is happycarsflorida.com. Happy Car, which is located... 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale. It is owned by my buddy Louie, who I have been buying cars for for 20 years. Those of you who listen to this podcast should know that last week, one of you went in and bought a car from Louie. So thanks for doing that. And thanks for mentioning me. His phone number is 954-800-2449. Again, the phone number is 954-800-2449. Whether you have good credit, bad credit, or no credit whatsoever, it doesn't matter. Because you know why? When you buy a car from Louie, he finances the car in-house. You don't have to go anywhere. Give him a call right now, 954-800-2449. Check out the website, happycarsflorida.com. Guess what? If you don't see a car that's on the website and you want to drive something different, call Louie, tell him Craig sent you, he'll get the car for you. You'll be driving out of the lot the very same day. Happycarsflorida.com, 954 954- 800-2449. Go check out Happy Car and drive away happy. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome back to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I'm your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined as always by Craig Mish, the man behind the name Swings and Mishes. Uh, Craig, you and I were up in Jupiter yesterday uh, for the Marlins full squad reporting. Uh, what were your overall takeaways first before we get everything started, just of having baseball back in Jupiter with the Marlins reporting yesterday? Yeah, Jeremy, good to be with you as always. It's, you know, kind of like a three-part process for spring training. You have the pitchers and catchers. That's like the initial first process of it where baseball is officially back at that point. Then, of course, you have the full squad, which we experienced on Monday and then this weekend we're going to have actual spring training games being played and so those are like the the three steps to this and then when the games begin it's hot and heavy for about a month and then we get to the regular season so yeah it's a little warm on the warmer side for this time of the year I'll I'll start off with that a little bit uh, surprisingly warm but I'm sure we'll have some little cooler snaps as the spring goes on but I think, uh, without a doubt, a more or less controversy-free spring training thus far, very early on. Not, not a lot of mm-hmm. intrigue. Uh, I'm trying to bring some you know, extra insight and intrigue if there's anything to give to you guys. Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes I do get accused of, of stirring the pot sometimes, which I, <laughs> think is, I think is fair. But it's also part of reporting. If something's going on, I want to be able to tell you guys that. So uh, on those lines, we'll dive into a number of different topics and in particular on this podcast I'm going to try if I can to take you a little bit more behind the scenes on this one with some of the things that I've learned over the last week or two well let's start here uh Marlins owner Bruce Sherman spoke yesterday to the media uh we don't get to hear from Sherman all that often so it was nice to hear some insight uh into what he was thinking so what were your sort of overall takeaways I know a lot of different clips sort of spread yesterday on social media but what were your overall takeaways of what Sherman had to discuss yesterday with us in the media. He was very prepared to speak. Obviously he was, uh, I I thought he came off extremely well. I thought he's, he came off better on, on this first day of spring training than on all the other spring trainings combined. I thought he was very strong with a lot of his comments. Uh, he had very good answers to all of the questions. Didn't seem to be caught off guard at all 
and um, you know, and I thought that he gave comments that the Marlins fan would want to hear. His his public comments, of course, talking about you know leaving the past behind. I think that the organization as a whole just wants to, you know, put this you know the past organiz- the past regime, excuse me, behind already and and move on from this. But look, your history is part of your present, past, and future. That's that's without a doubt, no matter how much they're going to want to never talk about it, it's, it's still going to come up because it is a part of the history. And by the way, Bruce Sherman, uh, I don't think people realize, I, didn't, I know I didn't realize yeah. how big a Marlins fan that he was. I mean, dating back to 1993, which is when I remember the Marlins starting. So uh, he's been following them as long as I have. And then I can tell you separately – uh, because you know this, you know potentially it could come up. I mean, look, it's obvious you're at a spring training, and and uh, the owner of the team is there. You want to try and be able to speak to the man, uh, even aside from what's shown publicly. So you know, clearly, members of the media were asking me afterwards. Oh, I saw you, you know, speaking to him a little bit. What happened? So let's let's not make any mistake about it. I'm transparent with everything. Uh, but it, but a private conversation is a private conversation. So, but I will share this. Uh, about the owner of the Marlins from some of the things that I have learned personally about him. Uh, He's 72 years old. He is not in this to make billions of dollars. I don't think, Uh, you know, now again, I don't know him well. I can only express what I believe. And, and I thought about it a lot yesterday after, after that. And, And why would somebody who has made a fortune and make no mistake about it, a fortune, Mm. of money over the course of, of his lifetime buy into the Marlins essentially at 70 years old. And I believe really the only reason why he did it is because he loves baseball and he would love to see a team win and he'd right. love to be behind that. And he would love to have Derek Jeter as a CEO. Really? I don't think that there's any other agenda to it. I really don't. So, uh, you know, some things that I think that could be down the pipeline is, and again, you know, I can only speak to what I think, what I, what I hear. I do believe that the team is going to spend some money. I do. I, when it's time, I think they're going to. Uh, I do think that when the Marlins identify a player within their organization that they feel needs to get a long-term extension, I think they're going to do that too. I don't know that they've identified that yet. I'm, I'm maybe Brian Anderson, who we've discussed a lot. Right. Brian Anderson is getting closer now to the point where I don't know that he will do a long-term extension. I mean, we're really teetering on that here because as we head toward arbitration and then free agency, uh, you know, it's kind of like a real Muto situation. And, mm-hmm. and by the way, um, they did, you know, offer a contract to uh, JT Real Muto as well, just to make that clear. So uh, I thought him, I found him very easy to talk to. I thought I found he knows baseball, he knows the game, but he doesn't want to get involved in the day to day. And and he's he's again he's seven. He doesn't want to speak to us <laughs> every day either. He doesn't want to do it, and right. and he's earned that right. You know, he wants to watch his grandkids play, and and that's that's what he's about right now. And so i i found him i found him very likable now as respect to all but people want to make comparisons between him and jeffrey Luria. and and look i'll give jeffrey Luria his due uh in talking to jeffrey and knowing what i what i knew about his baseball acumen he had a very high baseball iq also mm. and I, I don't want to mean that at all he just got way too involved in the negotiation and the trades and, and having everybody you know giving him opinions on different things and and making snap decisions that that was his issue but Jeffrey knew the game. I mean, he knows the game. I mean, there's, there's no question about that. And if we go back and look at history, 
on, on things that Jeffrey had opinions on. There are a few of those that he was right on and baseball right. ops was indeed wrong. I will, I will say that in, in his defense too. I want to be clear on all of that as well, but that's not the role of chairman Bruce Sherman. He's not doing that. He's not involved in that. Whatever the decisions are, they are. And he has his baseball ops people that are in charge of all that. So mm. I came away very impressed. I don't know if we'll see him more. I don't know if he will speak more. I can't say that for sure. I don't know if he will come on this podcast. I'm hoping that he will one day. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that we're any closer to that than we were a day, a day or two ago. Maybe on the percentage meter, maybe we are 5% higher than, than we were. We'll just have to wait. Starting at 0%? We were at 0 Maybe we're at 3% <laughs> now. Maybe we're at 3 I'm, We're, we're going to work to try and make that happen eventually. But I came away uh, impressed. I came away very impressed with, with at least the day yesterday. Long way to go, long way toward winning, long way toward spending. I, I get it. But since we do these podcasts basically every week, we have the ability to form an opinion and change an opinion. And next week, my opinion may change. Right. Something that happens. But as of the takeaway from yesterday, that's where I'll start there. I will say last year and, and in a lot of previous interviews with Bruce Sherman, we've had Sherman and Jeter out there together. And I think not having Derek Jeter out there yesterday was almost a benefit in learning more about what Bruce Sherman knows about the game and getting some transparency and some, some answers from Sherman specifically. He was very prepared for that interview. And that was kind of enjoyable to see him on his own in the spotlight there. And we don't get that all that often, as you mentioned. So that was an enjoyable experience for for those of us that haven't seen it quite yet. Uh, moving to the baseball side of things, and this is, it was one of our early topics last week. It's been a topic before. It's Jonathan VR and where he is going to play defensively. So yesterday, uh, when Don Mattingly and, and Michael Hill a, a bit were interviewed, but specifically Mattingly, um, talking about VR, he specifically said, we're going to mess around with center field uh, in regards to Jonathan VR uh, when asked where VR would be playing then we all spoke to VR afterward, who seemed a bit uncomfortable with center field still, but wants to play. So, uh, Craig, your thoughts on the Jonathan VR center field situation? Yeah, with VR, it's very interesting because he doesn't have a lot of playing time in center field over the course of his career. In fact, almost you know very little to none. But it's it's interesting that this really puts the best offensive lineup for the Marlins on the field and I think that that's what they're really striving to achieve this year is more offense they were near the bottom in every offensive category and potentially look they could be sacrificing a little bit of defense with him in center they more or less went through that all last year once the Brinson experiment number seven kind of went sour and <laughs> then they went to you know Harold Ramirez who you know, I don't, I don't know that he's a full-time center fielder, but he played center. And, of course, John Birdie did until he got hurt, too. So I, I will have to watch this one closely to see how he plays. I've said before that he has got to get in spring training games mm. and play center. It didn't seem as though it was a foregone conclusion that he'll play this weekend in games in center. It, it Maybe there's, there's going to need to be a little bit more tinkering with that, a little bit more fielding with that. Billy Hatcher is now with the team. A former outfielder, Juan Pierre, is obviously with the with the club in spring training too. So that those are you know players that he could work with. Sounded like next week he'll get into a game and start playing uh, the center field position. But the the kind of fallout from that, if you will, 
is that at this point, Brian Anderson would go back to third base with still the option of playing right field. And even potentially if the center field experiment for VR didn't work out, they could try VR at third base too. So those are all things that are in the mix. And then if that happens, then right field is open at this point now. And so that opens the door up back for uh, Garrett Cooper, who I talked to, who we'll get into in a minute, who uh, I I thought deserved an opportunity to still attempt to play every day again this season. And it didn't sound like they were really willing to go down that road, especially after signing Jesus Aguilar. So that's kind of where we stand at this point. Aguilar at first, I think Cooper and right with Harold Ramirez there also. And VR in center, Corey Dickerson in left, and then they'll have to sort out, uh, you know, another outfielder, assuming Matt Kemp makes the team. Probably, I would guess, that it's for the fifth outfielder on the club down to uh, Brinson and Sierra would be the final mm-hmm. spot there. So that, that's like, if you're looking for a, like, legitimate spring training battle, I think that those two probably will fight it out. Now, remember, Sierra does not have any options left. Uh, personally, Jeremy, I don't think he has any future with the club. I don't think that he will make the team. But mm. if indeed he does, because of that option, he becomes the fifth outfielder. When you're just strictly talking baseball, as it pertains to Magnera Sierra, I'll only share the same things with you that I'll share with everybody else. Again, when, you, when, you're, when you're looking at baseball players, you're always looking for comparisons. We always hear that a lot about a player. Who does he remind you of? What does he remind you of? And that's just like the the big view of a player. And then you get into his skill set and everything else. Like who does Magnera Sierra really remind you of? No one really comes to mind. <laughs> that's, just, right. that's just kind of a fact. Like he's a very fast guy that, that, you know, slaps a ball around a little bit and doesn't walk. And mm. he was kind of given a little bit of a raw deal in, in St. Louis being called up too soon. That put him out of options. I, I think he would be best served for me to go to the Orioles or the Tigers or, or maybe the Pirates, like another organization where he really could have a chance to play that is unfortunately uh, like in a rebuild mode. Maybe the Giants too, the San Francisco Giants. Like I, yeah. I think that he would be better served to head to one of those clubs, uh, be on their 40-man and get a chance to play and really see what he has on this club. We're getting close to the point where the Marlins just start winning now, you know, like a year or two away. I just don't think he fits into those plans. So. Right. You know, potentially Brinson makes the team or Brinson goes down to Wichita, but the rest of the positions you pretty much know. I don't think there is a competition on this club in terms of the offense. So Aguilar at first, you know, Isan Diaz is going to be given every opportunity to play the second. Miggy Rowe at short, Anderson at third. We have Dickerson in left, VR in center, Cooper in right, along with Harold Ramirez, along with Matt Kemp on the team, and along with John Birdie, and then another outfielder of some kind. Right. And, and we're, you know, having all these conversations. Matt Joyce is out there, too. A lot of professionals. I forgot. I keep yeah. forgetting Matt Joyce. My bad. On that. And yes, no, Matt but Joyce. it's he's, you know, another one of those major league outfielders sort of competing to be out there in one of those corner outfield positions specifically. But uh, when it comes to, to Cooper playing every day in right field, as you just mentioned, and sort of being out there in right field. You spoke with Cooper yesterday one-on-one, um, sort of going backwards, addressing uh, Don Mattingly's comments from back in December. Uh, discussing whether or not this is back at the winter meetings, whether or not Garrett Cooper is an everyday player. And Mattingly sort of hinted that he wasn't. So what did Cooper have to say about that yesterday? Yeah, I posted some of the comments from him. He waited a while to really comment on this. I think initially it, it has to challenge your manhood in a way. And I'm quite sure that it probably challenged his as well. And, and, and look, there's no doubt that he has not been on the field as much as the Marlins need him to be. But as he illustrated 
on Monday, if you go back and look at some of those injuries without making excuses, he was hit a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how you adjust that. Maybe there is something that he needs to adjust to not get hit by the ball or to put some sort of wrist guard on. I, I, I don't have all those answers. And he did have a lower half injury also at the end of last year. But, yeah, it's, it's upsetting him. He, he wants to be a big league player, and he wants to play every day. And offensively, maybe outside of Brian Anderson, who you could say put together a better year, I would say that's fair. But outside of him, Garrett Cooper was their most impactful hitter. And when Garrett Cooper was on the field, you, it's impossible to extrapolate statistics but if you wanted to he hmm. was their best hitter all of yep. last year so the notion that he can't stay healthy or that he can't be on the field that was brought up at the winter meetings by their skipper don mattingly and and look donnie's a potential hall of famer one of the best players i've ever seen play mm -hmm. and i think a very good manager and certainly has every right to say whatever he wants and he does and he shouldn't have to care i mean this is his team it's his ball club uh, but, you know, he doesn't usually throw guys under the bus. That's really hasn't been his thing. So I think it probably caught Cooper by surprise. It definitely caught me by surprise. And now he'll have to go out and earn his playing time this season. You mentioned Matt Joyce. That makes more sense. That becomes more of a, of a, of a backup option in case, uh, you know, insurance option in case Cooper's not healthy. Uh, Harold Ramirez, that makes some sense as a backup option. I just didn't like the idea that he wasn't going to get any playing time at all. And then Aguilar is being brought in to be the first baseman. But what I will tell you is I believe that Cooper is not going to play first base for the Marlins. I don't think, I don't think that that is the plan right now. I think the the plan at first base is Aguilar and mm -hmm. Kemp as, as the backup. And I think that Cooper is the opening day starting right fielder. Now they could obviously put Cooper back to first base, but I don't think that that is the plan as of right now. I think Cooper is your right fielder for the Miami Marlins on opening day, provided everything is going in that direction. But I think that if you go back and you, you check my Twitter at Craig Mish, you'll see that I thought Cooper was very candid and held himself very well as far as answering all of the questions are concerned. And remember, as an individual player or person in life, when you are challenged at any level by your boss, it's always important how and when you respond. And I think that, that Cooper uh, did need to respond to that eventually. But think about that. He's been sitting on that for almost two months mm -hmm. without really publicly responding to that. So I give him credit for just kind of holding back, waiting, and letting his bat do the talking, which he is hoping to do in the spring. And he responded with a level head. I, I will say, just to sort of follow up on what you just mentioned about first base, yesterday when the Marlins did break into sort of infield drills and outfield drills, Jesus Aguilar was the only first baseman there for all of those drills. And when they did call in a second player to play first base, it was Matt Kemp, not yeah, Garrett Cooper. That's it. So that's it. it's, that's it's right there. Yeah. yeah, sort of proof in the pudding. Um, moving from the, the infield position alignment, the outfield position alignment, everything that's going on in the lineup to the pitching. Um, you know, there's a lot of depth with the pitching in the Marlins organization, uh, specifically two of the up-and-comers are Eduardo Cabrera and Sixto Sanchez. And I know you wanted to touch on both of them. Yeah, the, the starting rotation for the Marlins 1 through 3 or 4 is pretty much set, and we've talked about them a ton, and I don't think that we need to dive into them today because you know Sandy Alcantara, and you know Pablo, and you know Caleb. You know that this is a competition for the fourth and fifth guy. Arania, you know, supposedly in the competition. I still do think that they would like to move him, but they are working on some new things, I'm told, with Arania as a starting pitcher, and mm -hmm. we'll just kind of see how that progresses. But again, 
you know, we'll, we'll see if he's on the team opening day. Um, I, I've, I've said publicly I didn't think that he'd throw a pitch for the Marlins this season. I'm going to stick with that. But, you know, clearly I'm not right on everything, that's for sure. So maybe this is one that I'll be wrong on, but, <laughs> but I got a, I'm, I'm got a good track record so far going. Okay, so now in terms of Edward Cabrera, Edward Cabrera and uh, Sixto Sanchez, I'll do uh, Edward Cabrera real quick. Uh, I was told uh, last week, like I gave a, I got a good quote on him that he's like the sleeping giant in major league baseball. Mm. Like people just don't realize how good he is. He's being undervalued by a lot of the prospect lists, not just by the Marlins. I have personally had other people outside of the Marlins organization who are at very high levels uh, of baseball. Ask me specifically my thoughts on him. This has happened more than once now where I, I think that teams are looking at him like, you know, maybe we could steal this guy from the Marlins. Like maybe, mm. maybe, you know, maybe there's some scout in another organization that, that looks and says, wow, you know, I wonder if the Marlins think that highly of Edward Cabrera like we do. So I don't believe that, that he's being traded. And I think that there is certainly a chance that he could be as good or better than Sixto Sanchez, which brings me to Sixto Sanchez. Now, this is a little bit more complicated. So you'll have to indulge me here for a couple of minutes on this one. I think it's pretty obvious at this point from anybody who's been to spring training or has seen some of the videos of Sixto Sanchez that just in general, as a person, when you haven't seen someone for a while in your life and then you see them in six months and you know, potentially their figure or their weight can look different. And I think in this case, Sixto Sanchez, to the naked eye, to anybody who's watching, does look like he has put on some weight. In fact, if you go back and you look a couple of years ago as to what he looked like, he was a real thin uh, kid who has now uh, formed a different kind of body at this point. Um, and so, uh, you know, and, and this happens, you know, players put on weight. They're still able to have successful careers. The Marlins, in fact, had two players just like this in the past. And most recently, uh, Guzman, who I think that they were keeping a close eye on over the last couple of years. But if you want to go really back in, in Marlins history, they had two players who came up as like super rail thin kids and then, you know, put on some weight. One ended up having a Hall of Fame career. One ended up fizzling out, I think, partly because of that. One, the one that's going to have a Hall of Fame career is Miguel Cabrera. Right. Who, who put on, who came up as a super rail thin, skinny kid to putting on weight, but still was able to play with that weight at a very high level for a long time. Now it's toward the end of his career, so it's understandable. And the other one is Hanley Ramirez, mm. who came up as a 50 stolen base guy, back-to-back -back 50 steals. And then all of a sudden... His body changed. He wasn't as fast as he used to be. Uh, you know, Marlins moved him out. He went to L.A. He was still pretty good there. And then when he got to Boston, he really started to, I think, let go a little bit. And he did put together one really good season in Boston. But, but honestly, Jeremy, he's 36 years old. Hanley Ramirez, if he was in better shape, would still be in the big leagues. You know? yep. I mean, that, that guy could be a DH and just hit yeah. for years. He's only 36. Think about That's that. Crazy. He, and, and he didn't play last year either, basically. Man. So – I mean, Nelson Cruz is still playing. Why? Because yeah. he keeps himself in good shape. You know, Big Poppy played it a long time with big weight. It's just how you carry it. Right. So, so why am I bringing this all up? So in, in talking to a lot of people in, within the organization and just my own opinions and forming this all thing, I, I, I guess I thought this was a bigger deal than it ends up being. Mm. I don't believe that the Marlins are concerned with his weight. But I do think that this is something that they're going to have to stay on top and monitor. It is much harder when you are losing a kid for six months and they go to the Dominican Republic to stay on top of a weight program and a conditioning program as opposed to when they're sitting in Jupiter 
and living in South Florida in six months. So I'll put this under my opinion of being a little bit more concerned. I can't really get a strong definitive answer one way or the other. I think that if the question was asked publicly, I don't think that the Marlins would say that they are very happy with the conditioning of Sixto Sanchez. And I don't think that they would say that they love how he looks that he is doing fantastic conditioning wise. I don't think that maybe that will come up. I am just not prepared to do anything more than give you what I believe is my own speculation at this point, which is he is on a separate conditioning program than, than some of the other players. Every player, by the way, has their own conditioning program based on how they want to see them succeed. But it is definitely my opinion, not fact, but my opinion is that this is something that they are going to have to keep an eye on and stay on top of because the last thing that you want is is Sixto ballooning to I don't know Bartolo Colon levels. You know? <laughs> I, I don't yeah, ever I don't yeah. see that happening. And again, yeah. and listen, this may be something that all of a sudden a year from now we do this podcast and I say, hey, remember when we did this podcast, Jeremy? Right. I think they have a handle on it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I, I I'm not strong enough with this to be able to just start you know running up to the top of the you know yelling out of the window. Oh, they gotta fix Sixto Sanchez. He's getting too heavy. Can't do that because I have not been provided enough information to do that, but it is enough for me to at least bring it up right. here uh, with an opinion on uh, on the podcast today to say that I think that it would be in the Marlins' best interest to continue to monitor him mm. and make sure that that where he's at doesn't get any worse. Yeah, that's a 21-year-old kid. I mean, your your body's still changing a little bit no when, doubt you, when about you're it. at that age. So maybe, you know, metabolism changes. Unfortunately, I, no I, doubt I've been a victim of it. Uh, no, no doubt about it. But you know what? At 21, mm-hmm. what's it going to look like at 23? Exactly. And well, no, that's gonna, the whole point. What's it going to look at at 25? So rather, mm-hmm. so I think rather than rather than being content with it, you know, not on the positive, not on the negative side, maybe it's time to get ahead of it. Now I'm not a trainer and I don't know what goes into all that. And I don't know what goes into their conditioning programs and their testing. And, and I'm not told that either. Right. So I'm just going to have to speculate at this point, but it has been brought up to me several times. Mm -hmm. I have asked about it. I have looked into it and that's as far as I'm going to be able to go with it here. Maybe some public things uh, eventually come out and are asked, but I try to at least do the story for myself to bring it to you guys first before everyone publicly jumps up on it. That's, that's kind of what I do. So one last topic before we do get to your interview, which we will touch on before we get to the interview. Uh, and you just sort of brought this to me. I know you had reported uh, Mike Hill, uh, his contract is up at the end of the year, and you had said you wanted to sort of chat about that here before we do wrap things up uh, on this episode. So I reported a couple of weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, that all of the most of the Marlins front office executives have all been extended through the 2021 season and essentially at the top the lone exception to that is their president of baseball operations michael hill now in the media and being around and covering baseball as long as i have and and there was you know a gap for a few years where uh you know after i was doing i did a television show here in south florida for almost 10 years on fox sports florida some of you may remember called mikasuki sports rap I mean, this goes back uh, almost 20 years. So I do go very far, very far back with, uh, with Mike Hill as he was a general manager and, 
um, and then now, you know, president of baseball operations. But there was a gap in between where I wasn't like day to day with the Marlins and I was covering everything. I was covering the Dolphins and I was covering the Heat. Now I'm just primarily focused uh, on baseball and, and fantasy since I took right. a job uh, hosting a fantasy show every day. So there's a little gap there in between. But I have known Mike for a very long period of time. And the one thing that I would say about Mike, and I've said this before, is that when you ask Mike, Mike Hill will tell you this. When you ask Mike Hill a question, he will give you an answer. It may not always be the answer that you want. <laughs> In fact, a lot of times yeah. it will not be the answer that you want. But he is going to give you an answer. And that also right. speaks to a lot of general managers and, and executives around baseball. They, you know, they dance around the answers. They dance around the questions. But the one uh, question that Mike Hill is not going to answer me on, and it's not because he's you know, mad or anything like that, but Mike Hill is not going to talk to me about his contract which ends at the end of 2020. He doesn't mm. want to, does not want to discuss it. And so I'm going to discuss it for my kill. <laughs> so I'm going to discuss it for my kill here on Perfect. the show. Now, now, the reason why he doesn't want to talk about it is because it's not something that he can control. And by the way, anybody can ask uh, my kill in a public forum. And, and I'm sure there's some media listening to this. Anybody can ask my kill in a public forum about, Mike Hill's contract. They certainly can. I would expect that it would come up. Somebody like, as an example, somebody who has been a reporter in South Florida longer than I have is Barry Jackson's a good example of that with, mm -hmm. uh, with the Miami Herald. Barry could go and we could, do a pre we could do an interview. And I'm sure this is going to come up. How he'll decide to answer the question, I don't know. But with me, he will not, he does not want to do a discussion on himself. And this is always the way that he's been. He's always deflected things to everybody else. So his deal's up at the end of the year, and so here is what I'm going to say about this. The Marlins would be making a very big mistake to not get out in front of this and figure out something uh, for Mike at some point this year. And I'm not saying that it has to be now, and I'm not saying it has to be in May or June, but very similar to how they you know, kind of handled Don Mattingly uh, last year is that I think that in fairness to your president, uh, you don't, I don't think that you'd be wanting to make trades in July and moving forward in the organization with having what in sports, when you're going into your last year in a management position as a lame duck manager or a lame mm. duck president, which essentially is what Mike is. Now, remember, he was given a pretty hefty contract by Jeffrey Laurie and company, and, and some people felt like it was I mean, a going away present almost, like he extended all of his guys right before he left. And, and since then, most of them have been gone. Now, there are going to be some people who are going to look at this and say, oh, Mike Hill, wasn't he part of the previous regime? Wasn't he part of all of those deals and all those bad trades and everything that went sour on that? And look, there's a level of accountability with everyone. He was the president of the team. It was on his watch. And there are some things that, unfortunately, he's going to have to fall on the sword for. But I can tell you from experience and knowing that there were so many of these situations where no matter what Mike Hill said, those deals were going to get done. Those deals yep. were going to get traded. There were players that Mike Hill sat in a room with the owner and said, don't do the deal. Don't talk, you know, don't, don't deal with Scott Boris on way in Chen. Let me handle. And, and, and he couldn't do it. He did not have that autonomy and he did not have a group think where everyone would sit around and make a final decision. Now, Derek Jeter, the CEO of the team, is always going to make the final decision here, along with Bruce Sherman. Okay, like that's going to happen still. Even even if Mike agrees to a trade or he wants to sign a player, it's got to go through the CEO and it's got to go through the you know the president of the team that or the uh, the owners of the team. That is part of the equation. 
But Mike has not been able to do that until now. And, I, and when I say now, I'm saying over the last couple of years. Right. Now, what's now the natural progression from this conversation? And you guys should be asking me this question. So I'll, I'll answer it for you. But Craig, what about the, all those tra- Yelich trade? I mean, that, that, was, that was with Derek Jeter. That was with this new ownership. That was with, well, I'm glad you asked me that question because I'm going to answer that one too for you. When the new regime came in and the new ownership group came in, the one transitional top guy, of course, was, was Mike Hill. But when all those trades were made, we've been over this several times. Yep. And let's do it just real quick once more. We can all agree that the Marlins had to trade Giancarlo Stanton. And we can all agree at this point, even with getting very little back in return, that was a trade that needed to happen to save the franchise. And what has Stanton done since then? And what will he look like in seven years? I don't know. But that's not a sustainable contract for the organization. That's a fact. They traded D. Gordon. Was that a bad trade? No, it was not. What is D. Gordon? D. Gordon is not even starting player at this point. They're starting shed long over him in Seattle at second base. Marcel Ozuna, they traded him to St. Louis. Did they get a huge return back? No. Is Marcel Ozuna still a member of the Cardinals? No. no. They got an all-star, Sandy Alcantara. The other two players in the deal, Gastano, um, uh, Zach Gallen was in that yeah, trade. Yeah, Zach Gallen was a part of that trade. Zach Gallen was in that Israel. trade. Um, they, who they moved on from. So even though the return isn't here, they still got something that were, they were able to turn into something else. All-star and a potential all-star in, in Gallon and their future starting shortstop. So did they win that trade? They lose it as we look at it now? We don't know, but it, it wasn't a disaster of a trade. Those trades were not. And then, of course, the Yelich trade, which we all know at this stage was an L. You have to take the L on that. I don't think that's going yeah. to be a win. They're still hopeful that it will be. But when that all happened, and when those trades went down, what was this new regime, was Gary Denbo and Derek Jeter and the new people who were just joining the organization, did they have all of the scouting reports from the, from the Yankees? <laughs> no. They, they had everything that was part of the Jeffrey Loria organization, all of the advanced scout, and there was nothing. I mean, these guys, when they made those, tr- those trades, were basically forced into a situation to say, okay, now – uh, you know, what do we have on this guy? What do we have on that one? You know anything about this guy? I mean, and, and they were left with a, a basically a bare cupboard because that's the way that the previous regime did this in terms of trades. You could look at that as, as, as what they did and what they accomplished in those trades that were horrible previous to that. Now, could they have waited on Yelich? Of course. Could they have done more advanced scouting? Of course. And looking back on it now, even though they traded all those players, maybe Yelich was the one guy that they should have stood pat with. But once Yelich made it uh, public that he wanted to be traded and privately behind the scenes, things that he has since, from what I've heard, apologized for, Mm. they chose to move him as well. Now circling back to Mike Hill. While he is responsible and oversaw all of these things, I don't think that he was ever in the proper position to handle a baseball organization as the president up until almost the last couple of years. I think now, I think now is the time that you begin to judge him. And I do think that he deserves at least another year to see this through. And I hope that at some point this year, like they've extended all of their other guys that they would choose to extend my kill through the 2021 season. I would tell my kill this and I'll end with this. 
clearly if the major league baseball product on the field this year april may june is an unmitigated disaster mike would have to understand at that point look you're the one that made this move for Corey dickerson you're the one that got jonathan vr you and everyone else you guys are the ones who brought in jesus aguilar if you guys right. lose 110 games mike i mean i'm sorry i mean the, the results are going to be there and potentially maybe that's what they're waiting for is to see what the major league results are going to be but I would say that if this does trend in the right direction, I would not wait and have a lame duck president heading into the final year, especially with not knowing who the president could be in the future. I don't believe it'll be Gary Denbo. I think he's going to stay in his spot. I think Dan Greenlee probably stays in his spot as well. So uh, I'm hopeful that that happens again. Uh, sorry to go on the little diatribe here. No, but I believe, I believe the Marlins should be in a position to give Mike Hill another year through 2021 and and see this through and then analyze it when you've given Mike the proper tools and the proper ability to be able to do this because he, he simply has never had it, even with the trades of Yelich, Ozuna, D. Gordon, and mm -hmm. Stanton. The Marlins were still not properly assembled and prepared at that time due to having all of the previous regime and organizations scouting reports or lack thereof, and this is fact. So I think that, that Mike should get another year on this. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the first trade that they made, it was for uh, Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith. Because why? Because they had some of those uh, old Yankee guys coming into the front office who knew those players. That's why they had they that had type of no, They had nothing. They had right. nothing when they came over. Right. They're, they're looking at Sandy Alcantara. They're looking at, you know, Sandy Alcantara. Oh, okay, good. He's sure. a top prospect. Magnir mm -hmm. Sierra, we saw him play in Miami last year for like the weekend. Okay, that's <laughs> right. But they and, and then, you know, I understand it. But well, then why do it? Why make those trades? And, and look, it was a sell high deal on Stanton. It was a mm -hmm. sell high deal on D. Gordon, those those two players specifically. And then, then you get that far down the road. And then was the plan to trade Christian Yelich? No, the plan was not to trade Christian Yelich. Right. But but they they probably made a mistake which was they let emotions, in my opinion, get in the way of a good baseball player. Mm. And when you're the CEO and when you're the Hall of Famer and, you, and, and you're told, essentially, that Christian Yelich tells the president of the baseball ops, or, or like now again, this is what I heard, that, you know, don't call me ever again if you trade John Carlos Stanton. And when you're told that, I mean, how does that feel? I mean, you're, you're the CEO, you're, you're Derek Jeter, and, and someone is telling me, this guy Christian Yelich, who's at the time, right. hadn't, right, had, right. Had, hadn't really accomplished. I mean, he was a good player, don't get me wrong, but he right, hadn't but accomplished he what he did. Oh, this guy's telling me, like, to get lost? Right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I would have handled that. Now, I don't know that Derek will ever admit it. Maybe he won't. Maybe he will. But it was a mistake. It mm. was a mistake. They, the cooler head should have prevailed. They should have sat back. They probably should have waited, you know, and not, not just jumped on the, on the Brewers deal, which at this point they'll still defend and say is still good. And it may, it may be, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, I, I don't yeah. think that it, I don't think that it's, it's going to end up being a success story, but you're going to make bad trades, Jeremy. And if we're talking about four deals, one's bad, three are good. Isn't three you out of four it. a winner? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and wrapping back around to what you just said, wrapping all the way back around to what Bruce Sherman had to say, that's why at the end of his uh, sort of remarks, he said, no emotions, just business. So that's exactly a, a perfect example of that. So 
Uh, we're going to head into an interview with Ryan Stanek. You know, yesterday while we were at, at, in the clubhouse, I saw you, you know, walk away with Stanek and, and sit down and talk with him for quite a while. So do you want to give us any sort of a uh, precursor into this interview or you want to just jump right into it? Yes. Uh, yeah. Ryan Stanek is, is one talkative guy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that he was ready for me. I don't know. He, um, you'll, you'll hear in this interview, he, he believes that I, I look, it's, it's competition. And, and I think that Ryan Stanek wants to be the closer of the Marlins. He wants another mm. crack at that. And, and again, you'll, he'll, you'll hear him talk about, you know, his respect for Brandon Kinsler and players that they brought, but who, if you're a big league player, you want to be the best and you want to, and he is embracing that. And I think that you'll hear him illustrate what happened when he was traded from, from Tampa Bay to Miami. He found out about the trade through me where they, they posted when I broke the trade huh. and, and I, and he saw it on, on television. The funny part of that trade uh, just before we go to Stanek here was yeah. that I, I had, if you go back and you look at that original uh, tweet on the trade, what was interesting about it was I had it and I had the draft ready to go because I, I, I knew that the deal was going down, but I didn't know that Stanek was the final piece that was in the deal. I guess right. they were going back and forth and the Miami said, we're not trading you uh, Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards, unless you give us Ryan Stanek and the Rays, I guess, hang up the phone and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then with two minutes to go, they call back and they do it. But I had no idea about Ryan Stanek. So you'll, if you look at my tweet, you'll see, I name all of the players Yep. And then at the end, I put Ann Stanek. Ann Stanek, yeah. And I, so I, I apologized this. to him. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, <laughs> man. Like, I, I, it was just like, I had to do it. Like, he's like, ah, no problem. It was like at the last minute. I'm like, I didn't even get your first name in there. I'm it was like, sorry funny. for that. So, so we talked about that a little bit. And, and again, I think he's someone that's going to, I think he's going to end up being closer to the Marlins at some point. It may not be this year. It may not be next year. But they got him to close. And, uh, and, and I think it's an interesting conversation. A very, very talkative, well-spoken uh, guy in Ryan Stanek. Well, since we're back here in spring training, I am going to remind the new listeners, uh, please like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Follow us at Swings and Mishes on Twitter, on Instagram. We have some really cool stuff coming for you guys. Obviously, you can follow Craig at Craig Mish, myself at Jeremy Taché, and enjoy this interview with Ryan Stanton. Before we get to our interview, guys, baseball season is on its way, which means you guys are about to be spending a lot more time outdoors, and it can get hot, and that means it can get uncomfortable, especially below the belt. You all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hair. That's why Manscaped has redesigned and perfected the electric trimmer with their new Lawnmower 3.0. Look, I know it can be sort of uncomfortable to bring up the discussion around men's grooming, but that's why I'm bringing this chat right to you. Forget the awkward in-person conversations trying to find the right trimmer or razor. Just go to manscaped.com and use our code SWINGS to get 20% off and free shipping. I'm telling you this from experience. They sent me the product. I used it, and I'll never be going back. Just some of the great new features include a ceramic blade to avoid cuts and scrapes and nicks, a 90-minute battery, an LED light for better sight lines, and a USB charging stand. I mean, it's really simple. Whether you're dating, married, single, anywhere in between, guys, we want to be clean. So make manscaping accidents a thing of the past. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're actually one of the very first people to hear about this legitimately life-changing product. I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Like I said, I've tried it, and I'm not going back. So when you do go to the site, feel free to tweet me at Jeremy Taché and let me know what you think. I- I'm serious. 
trim all that junk right off yours. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SWINGS at manscaped.com. You'll be thanking yourself. So again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code SWINGS. I'm going to ask you kind of start off to the trade. You get brought over here last year. I know that it's met with a lot of excitement. You get to join a new organization. Um, and you were kind of thrust in a role that you really weren't used to, at least from when you were with the Rays. I want to ask you about that whole experience from the beginning till now. I mean, the, the trade the trade was just a lot. Like, it was just a lot of moving pieces. Like, I've never, I'd never been traded before, so, like, that in itself was, like, a lot. I had to come into a new place, meet a, a whole new organization from a place where I knew everybody from the lower levels to, to the big leagues. I knew, I knew everybody. And from there, like, I come here first day like I'm already on I was on the, uh, the IL at the time so I came here for a couple of days trying to get a rehab game in meeting all the people here and then that all those got rained out so then I went straight to Miami and flew right back to Tampa to meet the team and so like first day there I was sitting there trying to like introduce myself to everybody try to get comfortable like with the staff and just like meet teammates like I got lucky that at least like I knew Anderson from college um, so I was sitting there just trying to like be friendly at the, at the time and, uh, and just learn my teammates a little bit and then um, yeah go, just going back into the roles like a role thing like it was a little different but I mean I'd been a conventional reliever with Tampa at times too so like I was doing both um, yeah I don't know it was just I think I think coming off the, the IL that first month um, over here was more about like almost knocking rust off from not pitching for a while and then um, just getting used to working with a new set of catchers, working with a new pitching coach, kind of just feeling my way out instead of like and, and trying to get comfortable um, in, in everything, whether it be role, team, organization, city, living in a new place, all those things that like I never really like took much thought into like getting traded. I was like, oh, if I got if you, you always think like if you get traded, like there's always gonna be, like, it's always gonna be easier than you than you think. And like I'd never been through it, so I, I just didn't assume it was gonna be a, a tough transition. So um, it was. It was. It wasn't so much the baseball that was a tough transition. It was just like getting my life together and moving it to another place like within like a day. Right, but you know where I'm kind of going with it. It's like you're the opener, oh, you're, I mean, you're kicking ass in Tampa, and then all of a sudden you come here. Um, the Marlins had a trade done. You probably, mm-hmm. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but they had a trade done. They demanded basically that you were in it in order to do it. The Rays said no, and then inevitably they said they, you know, they wanted to do it. And, um, and then you come here, I'm thinking he's going to be the closer. He's got the stuff. Yeah. And that by the end of the year, I wasn't sure that that was that could be the case. Oh yeah, and like I, I have no doubt that like I have the ability to do that. Like that's 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 not a thing. That's not like a worry at all. Like I know my my stuff is fine. I was just more, um, at the time, was getting back healthy, getting back to being me again. And um, yeah, I don't think the transition was like like I guess the transition from being both an opener and a reliever and to being a, just a strictly a reliever was anything that made a difference like it's like pitching is pitching and it's not like I didn't face like the best hitters in a lineup when I was playing with Tampa so like that's not like that was ne- it's never been a worry I guess if that's I don't know exactly if that's what you're asking like the transition like to, like 
I guess, I guess I guess it's not what I'm asking. I guess it's that we have this just assumption that it takes a little bit more in the ninth inning, that it takes a special, at least that's what's been conveyed to me as long as I've been doing this, that it's going to take something else to get the final out, to get the final three outs. And I'm not saying that you can't do it. I'm I mean, just. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's different. Like, it's definitely different because, like, if you, I don't know, the only, I feel like the only difference between it is, like, if you make a mistake in the first, there's a chance to, like, there's, there's time to come back. But. I don't know. I don't look at it like that. Like I never like look at myself and be like, oh, if I make that mistake here, it's gonna be a thing. I don't look at that. Look at it that way. I'm just like my job is to go get outs whenever I get outs, or whenever I go out there. So, I mean, I don't really look at it as it's obviously different because it's whatever. Like it's it's just a different different job title. But like, I feel like if you look at it a different way, you're giving your brain too much power to like create doubt or create whatever whatever. I guess demons your mind can can come up with for those situations and I mean it is different but it's not also not different at the same time you know what I mean like I don't I don't know how to like I, convey that like no like I, I just can't treat it differently but it outwardly it's different. it feels on the outside looking in from somebody who's only played up until high school or whatever and and has watched that it does take it feels for me. I could be completely wrong, but it does. I've had guys tell me, "Oh, it takes a special. It, you know, you got to really have something in there to." I think to it's be- just experience. It's just just chances doing it to get used to it more so than anything. It's like I don't know. Like I closed some in the minor leagues, and and it would like, but like in Tampa when I when I was coming up, nobody had roles because like they knew when you got to the big leagues, Colome was our closer at the time. Mm-hmm. You weren't closing games, so it's like yeah, you might close in AAA, but you, like. I feel like for a long time, teams groomed people to be a closer, so they only closed. They only threw in close, like save situations. So it's like you're building up for that. Well, that was not how like I ever was like groomed at the time. It was like it's like you're not going to replace a guy at the time that had 50 saves or 45 saves. Like you're not going to just take his job, even if you were the you had a zero. You weren't going to take his job because he was still getting getting those right. saves. So like. I think it's just more, the more you do something, the more comfortable you get at it. Like, I mean, I think in my career I've had, what, four opportunities or something like that? Like four, maybe five? Last, I'd have to go back and look at last yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a handful. It, it was, no, it, yeah. in, fair, in fairness, it wasn't a lot, and I think that yeah. they still know, would I, like I, you to be the and closer. I, and I, and I think, but they brought the, in somebody, For you know. sure, and I mean, he's a veteran. He's done it a lot. Like, I mean, that's it's not like it doesn't, it doesn't hurt my feelings. It's like if – they want him to do that, okay, so be it. Like it's like I, I just want to pitch, help the team win, and I, like I know I can get the job done, so I'm not really, I'm not stressed about it. I know I'm, I know what I'm capable of doing and like what I'm able to do. So when the time comes, I'm gonna be ready. So I'm not really, like I think I think more or less like it's just getting comfortable in that situation when you've only done it a handful of times. It's like I at the time I've been up for two almost two and a half years and I'd had zero chances to pitch in like a, a safe situation so you think you learn from it and then the oh, next time you got a shot for sure we like would the, see different results for sure for sure because like I mean the first time I went out there in a safe situation I was like oh like let's go <laughs> like amp, like amp to so much energy so and like it's like trying to find that balance of like I'm very much like always in attack mode but it's like where is their over aggression as opposed to just like the right level of like attack in your mindset I think that's it's it's I think it's more raining energy in as opposed to expending more energy. Um, 
at least for me, it's like I'm very, very, I tend to be a very like go, 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 go type personality. So the more I'm in situations, the more I'm able to take a breath, get into my business and just go and not have it be a big deal. The one thing that I suggested last year, they're never going to do it, but I suggested when you were scuffling, I guess, um, and after the trade, August, September, I'm like, why don't, why don't we just see if this guy can uh, be an opener? I mean, it was, it was amazing with, with the Rays, but because of the depth of the pitching or- and the organization, they were really, uh, you know, at least I, it's something maybe that they talked about, but it was kind of adverse to, to, yeah. to actually doing it. Have you have, Has that conversation ever come up where... No, I mean right off the bat they, they, they told me that, that we, we we don't do that here. So, um, I mean it's a testament to like the good young starters we have and the good young starters that are coming up. Like I mean, I think with Tampa we we did it more as of as a just a personnel move. Like we had a lot of different types of personnel like there and different types of arms and different different styles that it just kind of melded well with what they were trying to do there. So. I think it was more based on just not necessity, but like just what they tried. And I mean, it worked, and so be it. I mean, here it's not that's not really the case. There we've got I don't know what eight starters or eight guys that can start. They're, they're like, oh, just go. Right. So I mean, I think it's more based on specific personnel than anything. And um, yeah. Okay, so uh, to, to kind of close it out, uh, my general expectation is that as a young player, as a young pitcher growing up, you as- aspire to be a starting pitcher. Uh, depends on how many pitches you have. Then sometimes you move to the bullpen. Then once you move to the bullpen, you get to the big leagues. You aspire to have the ninth inning. You aspire to be the closer. At least that's the general consensus mm-hmm. from guys throughout my yeah. years of covering. That And so I would end with this. Is that still your goal at this point? Is that is that what you would like to be with, yeah. with the Marlins? Of course. Like, that's, that's like as soon as I got moved to the bullpen, like, I got moved to the bullpen as a way to get to the big leagues faster. And, like, I had a – at the time I had a bunch of starters in front of me with veterans in the rotation. So they they're like, hey, we want to get you to the big leagues faster, so we're going to move you to the bullpen. And – I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to be in the bullpen, like, I want to throw the ninth. That's like, that's what, that's what I want to do, and it's still what I want to do. So, I mean, obviously, got to go out there and pitch well and earn it, and, and whatever the situation is, is to go out and just do my job. But, like, yeah, that's obviously like what I'd like to be doing.